Eat. Sleep. Links. Repeat. Boom, let's party! This is the Atari Lynx Handicast. This is episode 00, entitled, Love of Lynx. And, here now, is your host, Mark Little. Thank you, Monty. Well, here is the introductory episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast. And I really hope you enjoy it. I've got several things I want to talk about in this kickoff episode including a brief history of the Atari Lynx console itself, my own very brief history with the device and its game library, and a rundown of what I hope this podcast will look like over the next, well, three years. And I also have some listener feedback to provide for you, along with a few other bells and whistles to make the podcast fun and enjoyable for everyone. I've got a jam-packed episode ready, so without further ado, let's get started. Uh, the Atari Lynx. Now, what can I say? Let me give you a little bit of a history about it. Uh, the Atari Lynx began life as a project at Epix Software. Now, Epix was probably best known for developing and publishing software titles, most notably for the Commodore 64. Uh, some of the better-known titles included Temple of Apshai in 1979, Jumpman in 1983, Summer Games in 1984, Winter Games in 1985, and California games in 1987, the latter three of which had already been ported to several computer and game systems of the day, even for the aging Atari 2600. Sorry, Ferg. In 1986, two former Commodore Amiga designers, R.J. Michael and Dave Needle, were tasked by their former manager at Amiga, David Morse, who was then working for Epix, to come up with a handheld gaming unit to serve as that company's entry into the game console market dominated at that time, of course, by Nintendo. They developed a 16-bit handheld game system with a color LCD screen, and it was labeled as the Handy Game. However, by January of 1989, when the Handy Game was shown at the Winter Consumer Electronics Show, Epix was suffering from severe losses with the collapse of the Commodore 64's game market. So, Epix shopped around their only viable product, the Handy Game, first to Nintendo, who declined, then to Sega, Sega, who also declined, and then finally to Atari. Atari, despite suffering from the lackluster sales of its aging 2600 and 7800 game consoles, agreed to handle marketing the handy game with Epic's handling the software for the system. 
However, by the end of 1989, Epix was in bankruptcy and Atari had taken over both the marketing and the production of the console. Now, Atari displayed the device at the summer 1989 CES, minus the thumbstick control pad that it had and with a better internal speaker. And it was initially called the Portable Color Entertainment System. It was touted as the first color handheld console. Additionally, it had several technical features which made it ahead of its time. Truly scaling sprites, triangular rather than polygonal rendering in both foreground and background graphics, the ability to flip the screen easily for use by left-handed gamers, and a comlinks cable, which enabled players to hook up their Lynxes to play games head-to-head. -head. Now, when the console was finally released to the public in September of 1989, it had already been renamed the Atari Lynx, selling at a price point of just under $180 US. By the end of 1990, 500,000 units had been sold, and by late 1991, 800,000 units had been sold. It's estimated that somewhere close to 3 million units were sold between 1989 and 1994-95 when the Lynx was discontinued by Atari. Uh, this number, of course, falls far below the estimated 16 million units that were sold of the Nintendo Game Boy during that same period. Even the Lynx's closest competitor, the Sega Game Gear, Sega! released in 1991, came in a distant second behind the Nintendo Game Boy in sales, with about 4 million units sold during the same time period. In July of 1991, Atari attempted to correct the floundering sales of the Lynx by redesigning the console, improving its battery life slightly, and its screen, adding rubberized grip handles, and replacing the mono output jack with a stereo one. The new console was dubbed the Lynx 2, and it sold for just under $100 US when it was released in August of 1991. But the newly redesigned Atari Lynx still lagged far behind the competition in sales despite its superior graphics and playability, and Atari ceased producing them sometime in 1994-1995. Now, a little bit of technical stuff. Both the original Lynx and the Lynx 2 are powered by a custom 16-bit CMOS chip running at 16 megahertz called the Mikey chip. He likes it! Hey Mikey! With four-channel sound, a 160 by 102 pixel resolution, and a 4096 color palette for the 3.5-inch LCD screen. Uh, the graphics are handled by another custom 16-bit CMOS chip running at 16 megahertz. This one's called the Suzy chip. Wake up. Both versions of the Atari Lynx are powered by six AA batteries or an AC adapter sold separately. The battery life of the original Lynx was a paltry four to five hours, and the Lynx 2 battery life was not much better at five to six hours. The ROM cartridges for the system are either 128 megabyte, 256 megabyte, or 512 megabyte, and come in three different configurations, flat, ridged, and curved lip. And I'll talk a little bit more about those later on. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Hey, Mr. Block, can I go to the bathroom? Two minutes. Introducing Lynx from Atari, the color video game you can get away with. Well, sometimes. 
it again. Now let me tell you a little bit about my experience with the Atari Lynx. And I'll preface my recollection by saying first that most of the 1980s and 90s are a bit of a haze to me, especially concerning video games. I was a young adult with a job and a car, and life was fast. Too fast, actually. Oh, I had my TI-994A throughout that period, and I played my favorites, Parsec, Munchman, and the underappreciated Blasto on that system when the mood struck me. Later on, I moved to an Atari 800XL, and I played games on that for a while. Heck, I even bought a Coleco Gemini on which to play Atari 2600 games. And there was much rejoicing. But really, except for my four-year stint from 1984 to 88 working at Toys R Us, mostly in the security department, which sold computers, game systems, software, etc., the TI-994A, the Atari 800XL, and the Coleco Gemini comprised the full extent of my knowledge about both video games and the home computers during those two decades. Now, I do vaguely remember my good friend Howie telling me around 1988 or so about Atari's last gasp for relevance in the age of Nintendo. He was much more up on gaming computer news than I was at the time, especially after I left Toys R Us. I remember him saying that Atari had recently announced that it was putting all of their steadily decreasing funds and time into a fantastic new game system, the Jaguar, and it was going to be the best game system ever and would therefore save Atari from its impending oblivion. Spoiler alert, it didn't. But I don't remember Howie, or anyone else for that matter, ever mentioning to me anything about Atari's groundbreaking venture into the handheld console market, the Atari Lynx, in 1989. The Lynx was completely off my radar throughout its entire production run of about five or six years, and I was totally unaware that such a thing even existed, both at the time of its original production and in the decade afterwards. Flash forward to around five years ago. My interest in retro computing hit hard, and I made a decision to try and build my TI-994A hardware and software library up again. I had given both it and my Atari 800XL away years earlier. I still had an Atari 4-Switch VCS, or 2600, that Howie had given me years earlier, along with a pretty big assortment of game carts. I also had an Atari 8-bit, a 130XE, that I had picked up at a church bazaar, along with all of my original Atari 8-bit software. Since then, I've steadily built up all of those collections. They're nothing to write home about, but I'm happy with them. And that brings me to the Christmas season of 2016. In November 2016, I heard that there was going to be an Atari Flashback handheld console released. Normally, I don't pay much attention to the Flashback consoles. I'm a bit of a purist and prefer using the original hardware. But the idea of having a retro handheld game system that I could take with me anywhere I went intrigued me. In doing my research about the handheld flashback console, I became acquainted, or possibly reacquainted, with Atari's foray into handheld consoles in 1989, the Atari Lynx. So I figured, why buy a modern flashback? I'd rather go for the world's first color handheld gaming console, the Atari Lynx. I did a lot of research, I spent a lot of time on Wikipedia and Google, I poured through the Atari Lynx forums on Atari Age, and when I was satisfied that I knew enough to make an intelligent purchase, I jumped on eBay to find my Atari Lynx. I knew I wanted an Atari Lynx 2, which was the updated console that Atari released in 1991. 
It's slightly smaller, but a little bulkier than the original Lynx. It doesn't suck up batteries quite as much as the first one does. It has a stereo output in the headphone jack instead of a mono jack, and the cartridges slide in the back rather than inside a hinged compartment on the side. And in my opinion, the Lynx 2 just looks better. I found a listing on eBay back in February of 2017 for a Lynx 2 that was fully working for a reasonable price. It came with five games, but no boxes or instructions. The seller had also recently replaced the capacitors on the unit. Capacitor degradation is a known issue with any electronics over time. When I got it, it worked great, and it's the one I still have today. Since purchasing the Lynx 2 that I have now, I've grown my collection of games and accessories. And now is really the time to get into the Atari Lynx, as the system and most of its game library are not quite old enough for the prices to be very expensive. 1994-95, when the Lynx was last produced, was only 23 years ago. In fact, a lot of the 72 games released by Atari and third-party vendors during the Lynx's lifetime, many of which were ports of popular arcade titles of the time, can still be had complete in box and sometimes with the original shrink wrap for under $20. As of this episode, I have 39 game cartridges, all except three of them in original boxes, and all of them with the original manuals or full-color instruction posters. And I've spent relatively little money on them. Now I need to remind everybody about the game cartridges, or ROMs as they're called. They're flat, not much thicker than a heavy credit card. The original launch titles were released on flat square carts only with a series of bumps at the top. After complaints from consumers about how hard it was to remove the carts from the original Lynx units, nothing to grab onto, Atari briefly switched to flat carts with two small ridges on the top back, ostensibly to make it easier to grip the cart when removing it from the console. A very short while later, the curved lip variety of cart was introduced, curved at the top to make gripping it even easier. And most of Link's library of titles are housed in this type of cart. Needless to say, the non-curved lip type of carts are the more rare ones, though they still can be found at reasonable prices. Only five games, the original launch titles, were released in all three cartridge formats. Blue Lightning, California Games, Chips Challenge, Electrocop, and Gates of Zendokan. Gauntlet the Third Encounter was released in both ridged and curved lip styles, but not in the flat style. And all of the other 66 Lynx cartridges were released as curved lip cartridges only, except for Crazy Ace Miniature Golf, which came out only in a printed circuit board, or PCB. Additionally, most of the games are rendered in landscape on the LCD screen of the Lynx, but a few games, notably Clax, Gauntlet the Third Encounter, NFL Football, and the later release Raiden, are all rendered in portrait mode. The boxes for the ROM cartridges are fairly small, thin cardboard boxes measuring 5 and 3 8 inches tall, 4 and 3 8 inches wide, and 7 8 of an inch thick. The five launch titles I mentioned earlier were originally released in slightly larger boxes measuring 7 and 5 8 inches tall and 5 and a half inches wide. Generally, these larger cartons are a bit harder to find than the standard size boxes. All of the games came with either a poster or a stapled booklet manual. The posters were full-color, folded, glossy one-sheets measuring 22 inches high and 17 inches wide. One exception is the poster for the game Blockout, which measures a bit smaller at 16 and 3 8 inches high and 11 inches wide. The posters were printed with the box art on one side and a comic strip style set of instructions on the other. The booklet manuals were stapled varieties, usually with instructions in English, French, Spanish, German, and Italian and measured 4 and 7 eighths inches tall by 3 and 3 quarters inches wide. 
all booklet manuals were printed in black and white except for the full-color booklet manual for the game Warbirds, which, by the way, is an excellent game. Additionally, at least three of the launch title manuals were sold in larger folded or stapled versions. California Games Manual was 7 inches high and 5 inches wide and was stapled, and the manual for Blue Lightning was 6 and 5 eighths inches tall by 4 and 3 quarters inches wide, and it was stapled. The manual for Electrocop was the same size, but it was folded. There may be other larger manuals, but these three are the only ones that I have. Now about the game library. Many of the games are great, and a few of them are real dogs. And of course there are a lot in between. Of the games I own myself right now, I think my faves are Gates of Zendokan, Paperboy, Link's Casino, Ninja Gaiden, Chips Challenge, California Games, especially Surfing, Robotron 2084, Toki, the previously mentioned Warbirds, Shanghai, Rampart, Viking Child, and Blockout. I still need 33 games to complete the original run of 72, so for the initiated few out there listening who have unlimited funds and a generous nature, my birthday is just around the corner. Now a word about accessories. Take your pick. I have in the past year picked up an Atari Lynx 2 carrying pouch, or slipcase as it's sometimes called, an Atari Lynx carrying case with convenient shoulder strap, a Lynx AC adapter, a Lynx battery pack, which is a heavy monstrosity that holds six D-sized batteries for around 20 hours of continuous play, a Lynx 2 sun visor screen guard for use in bright sunlight, a Lynx auto cigarette lighter adapter, and of course the Comlynx cable, which allows multiple Lynx players to link up and play each other on the same game. I guess I'm subconsciously hoping that this podcast will serve as a rather selfish way to get others interested in the Atari Lynx so that I can find another Lynx user close by with whom I can link up using the Comlinks cable. But what I really want is the McWill LCD upgrade. What's the McWill LCD upgrade, you ask? Well, LCD screens from any devices that are almost 30 years old tend to fade over time. Additionally, their original resolution wasn't that great to begin with compared to the LCD screens of today. In fact, the original 3.5-inch 160x102-pixel LCD screen in the original Lynx and the Lynx 2 has no inherent backlighting. Instead, there's actually a light source behind the screen, which is one reason why the 6 AA batteries in the Lynx don't last too long. That light really sucks up the juice. A few years back, an enterprising gentleman in Germany, known as McWill on the Atari Age Lynx forums, created a new upgrade kit that replaces the original Lynx LCD with a modern-day self-lit LCD. Additionally, the kit includes a hack for the installation of a VGA output jack. Instructions on how to install the new LCD and the optional VGA output jack are included in the kit, which runs around $150 uninstalled, higher if you're lethal with a soldering iron as I am, in which case you can send your Lynx to Germany to have the kit installed by McWill himself. Everything I've read about the McWill upgrade kit indicates that the resulting screen resolution and brightness compared to the original LCD is like night and day, and that the system's 4096 color palette and scaling sprites can really be appreciated after installing the upgrade. So that's what I'm saving up for, and I hope to have a tricked out Lynx soon. In addition to this exciting upgrade kit, there is a thriving homebrew scene for the Atari Lynx right now, especially on the Atari Age Lynx forums. Some homebrew titles are simply staggering in their graphics, scale, and playability, with Alpine Games, Weltenschlachter, and Zaku near the top of anyone's homebrew list. And that's good news, because by my count, there were no less than 11 new and re-released homebrew titles that were scheduled to come out sometime in 2017 or 2018. 
adding that number to the 72 original titles and the 46 titles that have been released since the Lynx went away 23 years ago, there could potentially be 129 titles available to Atari Lynx game collectors by the year's end. Obviously, that's a far cry from the over 1,000 games released by the Lynx's primary competitor at the time, the Nintendo Game Boy, but for a system that sold a paltry 3 million units, as the Lynx did over the course of its 5 or 6 year history, and even that number is in doubt, that's not too bad. Now I've really come to love the Atari Lynx and its quirky selection of games. I take it with me to work every day, it fits into the carrying case just fine, and I play games on it during my lunch break. So if you're looking for a fun and colorful retro handheld, consider the Atari Lynx before anything else, including the Game Boy especially before the collectability and therefore the prices of this amazing ahead-of-its-time system start going up. I promise you, you won't regret it. But don't just listen to me. I've already received some listener feedback about the Atari Lynx, even though this is only episode 00. Shinto, who hosts the wonderful Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast, graciously provided me with an audio submission about his experiences with the Atari Lynx back in the Ferg. So let's take a listen. I can't say for sure the, the first time I learned of the Atari Lynx's existence, but the thing that made the biggest impact was an article in Omni magazine. Do you, do you remember Omni? It was a cool science and science fiction magazine that even had a cameo in Ghostbusters during the montage sequence. I had a subscription to Omni for a couple years, and the November 1990 issue contains an article on portable video games, has a large picture of the Lynx in some great supporting text. Upscale video yuppies, however, may opt for Atari's Ingenious Lynx, a portable game system that sells for less than $180 and features a full 16-color video display. Nearly 11 inches long, Lynx may be less compact than Game Boy, but the backlit screen is brighter and the graphics surpass Nintendo's in every way. It goes on from there, but it was this last sentence that really grabbed us, me and my brother. We might have known about the Lynx prior to this. I remember watching a TV special about hot new toys for Christmas, and they showed a Lynx playing Blue Lightning. I don't know if this was 1989 or 1990, but we promptly went to KB Toys, the closest video game retailer, and asked when they were getting the Lynx in. The, the guy behind the counter had no idea what we were talking about. The first time I saw a Lynx firsthand, I remember that well, that was in the back of French class in high school, my first year French class. It was kind of a, a party day for some reason, and a kid in class brought in his new Lynx and was playing Blue Lightning. Everyone gathered around to see it, but, you know, the Lynx viewing angles are limited, so most people didn't get a good view, my, myself included. Nobody seemed to have heard of the thing before, but of course I knew what it was. I asked the kid where the game cards went, since I expected them to slide in the back or something, and on the Model 1 Lynx, that's not the case. He showed me quickly and then went back to playing. I asked him if he could flip the screen so I could see how that looked, and he, he didn't want to do that. I can't say I blame him. At some point later, I had acquired a fold-out flyer for the Lynx. It was about the same size and shape as a Lynx, and it had a picture of the Lynx printed on it, and it folded open to show games and specifications and stuff. I, I would hold this in my hands and pretend that I was playing it, tapping the printed buttons and moving the D-pad. That sounds really pathetic when I say it out loud, but that's what I did, really wanting this machine. I don't know exactly when my brother and I got our Lynx, but we did a Model 1 core unit with, with no game, and the box had uh, Rygar, it featured Rygar in the front. We had to have gotten a game with it, but, you know, I don't remember which one, probably Blue Lightning. We, we got this at Toys R Us, our mom bought it for us to share, with the thought that if we got all our chores done promptly, we could get one game per month. This was shortly after our parents divorced, so I don't know if that factored into the deal at all. As we walked out of the store, I told my mom that I thought this was a good investment. 
And maybe it was, but the ROI, the return on investment there, was not financial. Something less substantial, but more important, fun. Years and years of fun. I still have that links. I still have every game we bought for it. The monthly chores thing, by the way, lasted three months, maybe four. But my brother and I played the heck out of that thing. It was, it was quite a step up from our Atari 7800 in terms of graphics and sound. We consumed every bit of information we could from gaming magazines about upcoming games. Uh, lots, of, lots of great memories. A year or so later, my brother went to the same Toys R Us and bought a Model 2 Atari Lynx with his own money, the $150 bundle that included California games, Comlinx cable, and the Velcro flap slipcase. He bought extra copies of Gauntlet and Xenophobe so that we could play them over Comlinx. When we went our separate ways, we divvied up our collection, the ones that he bought, the one I lost over a stupid bet, and several others went to him, and the rest to me. Fast forward several years, uh, probably to 2013, I was showing the links to my daughter. She loved it, loved the games, and asked if she could bring it to school with her for what was called Friendship Day, where the kids are welcome to, to bring in electronics and play games with their friends. I loaded six fresh AA's into my Model 1 links, slipped it into its own Velcro pouch along with several games, and off she went. The kids in our class, they, they all brought iPads or similar, but were fascinated by, the, by this Lynx. I can only imagine it was very much like that day in French class in 1990, just with a, a new generation of kids. The batteries, by the way, did not run out on her. They did just fine. A few months ago, I asked my brother if I could borrow his Lynx and his games, since my daughter wanted to play some Comlinx Gauntlet and Zybots with me. He willingly handed it over, since neither he nor his son played with it anymore. It, it was missing the Comlinx cable, but the fine folks at the goat store fixed me up with one for cheap. So now I have two Lynxes and a pretty sizable collection of games. There's a 25-year history in those games, and I think it's awesome that the, the Lynx still works perfectly and that it's still a lot of fun to play. Well, there was one minor cosmetic problem. The, the paint on my Model 1 Lynx had started to chip off. I asked the owner of Horizon Computers, my very favorite store in the world, a diehard Atari dealer, if there was any sort of touch-up paint for the Lynx, but he said there wasn't. I put electrical tape over the sides of the Lynx to hide the chipping paints, but eventually mixed up a pair of uh, testers' model paints to match the Lynx's color of gray and put that on instead. Unless you look closely, you'll, you'll never know that the sides were, were badly peeled. The electrical tape didn't do the paint any favors. The, the paints I used, I still have them here, are uh, 1149 flat black and 1163 flat gray. I used to keep my Lynx, Model 1 Lynx, in a fireproof lock box, this uh, metal box with a hinge and lock which opened with a key. It was just wide enough for the Lynx plus some padding on either side and long enough to fit the Lynx in the back with a power adapter, game cards, extra batteries in the front, and uh, just deep enough to close without breaking anything. This was how I carried my links around. It had a handle and everything, and was quite well protected. Well, I, sh I should say it's well protected as long as you close the latch all the way. One day, I didn't. I was going over to a friend's house and bringing my links. Probably would have been 1992. I stepped outside into the cool winter air, and uh, the lid to the case flipped open. My links fell out onto the ice-covered deck, slid over, and then down a half-flight of ice-covered stairs, and then slid an additional ten feet across the ice-covered concrete. If it suffered so much as a dent, I can't find it. This, that's my original Lynx, the one I still use. So the, the Model 2 Lynx certainly looks cooler, and I like that you can turn off the backlight to save battery while paused, and that it supports stereo sound through the headphones, whereas the Model 1 Lynx does not. But other than that, I prefer the Model 1. 
Um, it might be the durability, might be the nostalgia, but to quote Han Solo, she may not look like much, but she's got it where it counts. Thanks so much for your memories, Shinto. I especially love that you still have your original links and that it still works, despite the paint chipping and the electrical tape and its unintended trip down the icy steps years ago. And the fact that you are now helping a new generation, your daughter and her friends, to learn about and play with the Atari Lynx just makes your story that much more personal. Thanks again, Shinto, for your audio submission. I really appreciate it. And to all my listeners out there, be sure to check out Shinto's excellent Atari Jaguar game-by-game podcast. It's a lot of fun, and I promise you'll enjoy it, even if you don't own or have or ever even saw an Atari Jaguar. There's a link to his podcast in the show notes. And I'll be back to wrap things up right after this message. Coming to a screen near you in over 4,000 colors with full stereo sound on the largest portable video game screen in the world. Free only on Atari Lynx. Batman Returns, a $50 value, free with any purchase of the Atari Lynx game system, now for a limited time only. I'd like to close out this episode by telling you a little bit about what my ideas are for the podcast. And just in case you're still wondering why it's called the Atari Lynx Handicast, it's because I wanted a name that incorporated the original name for the Atari Lynx, The Handy Game by Epix. I want to make clear to everyone following me on this journey to understand that I am not the expert on all things Atari Lynx. There are others out there that I'm sure know the ins and outs of the system better than I do especially in the technical realm, because as I said before, I'm actually dangerous with a soldering iron in my hand. To those folks in this community, I welcome your input and expertise. My only qualification for even starting up the Atari Lynx Handicast is that I have totally immersed myself into the Atari Lynx since I first got one back in February of last year. And since I've had some experience with podcasting already over the past couple of years, I thought I would go ahead and take up the torch. Each episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast, episodes 01 to 72, will cover one game that was created, marketed, and sold for the Atari Lynx during the console's original era of manufacturer. I plan to go in part number order so that I'm reviewing the games generally, but not always, in chronological order. There were 62 games published by Atari that were released during the original run of the Lynx, 1989 to 1994-95. Every seventh episode, I plan to cover one of the ten games that was released by third-party vendors, Telegames, Shadowsoft, and Beyond Games, during that same period. That means conveniently, in three years, or by February of 2021, I should finish covering what is considered by most collectors to be the 72 original release games. At that point, I guess I'll decide whether to cover the later release games, such as Bubble Trouble, Alien vs. Predator, etc., homebrew games such as Alpine Games, Weltenschlachter, Zaku, etc., and other self-published and or prototype titles for the Lynx. Of course, someone else may decide to cover those games in their own podcast before I get to them, and that, of course, is just fine by me. For myself, I'm just focusing on the list of 72 titles that are generally accepted by the Lynx community to be the original games released during the Lynx's brief lifetime on the market. Episode 01 
The next episode will cover the first game in part number order, published by Atari for the Lynx, Blue Lightning, part number PA2020, which was one of the launch titles of the original Atari Lynx. As I will in all of my coverage, and as Ferg does in his excellent long-running podcast, the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, I will include statistics about each game, a review of its gameplay, graphics, music, and the people who worked on them, as well as my own thoughts on the game. I will also include how much each game has recently sold on eBay and GameGavel. I mean, we all want to keep on top of that in order to know how much to budget to get the carts we don't have, right? In addition, each episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast will also include Atari Lynx news, especially announcements and updates about any hardware and homebrews for the Lynx. More importantly, though, I want to include feedback and opinions on each episode's games from everyone and anyone in the Lynx community. I want the Handicast to be our podcast for our beloved and underappreciated system, not just mine. And speaking of the community, I've already received suggestions about people in the community or industry whom I might want to interview for the Handicast. If I can secure these interviews, I will post them as special episodes alongside the 72 planned regular episodes. Lastly, I really want to make this podcast fun for our great community, not just informative. I want anyone listening to the Handicast who doesn't already own Atari Lynx to be excited about picking one up. And I also want to inspire those gamers whom are already Atari Lynx owners and collectors to spread the word. So, eat, sleep, Lynx, repeat. Alright, that's it for this episode. Please don't forget to get your feedback in for episode 01, Blue Lightning, as soon as you can. Upcoming episodes will cover the Atari-published Lynx titles Electrocop, Rampage, Gates of Zendokan, Gauntlet the Third Encounter, and California Games. Leaving so soon? Thanks are in order for Game Chops at GameChops.com for graciously allowing the song Spider Dance by Holder to be used as the opening and closing theme music for the Atari Lynx Handicast. Thanks are also in order for the Free Music Archive, which allowed for the following songs and artists to be used in this episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast under the Creative Commons license. MT Fox Shop by Boxcat Games, Falcon Hood Tight by Poddington Bear, Hans in Luck by D. Yan Key, and Comedy by Jazar. I would also like to thank Ferg of the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, Shinto of the Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast, and Zerby of the many Zerbinator Land podcasts, including the excellent Please Stand By podcast. The help and inspiration that Ferg, Shinto, and Zerby have provided in my brief podcasting experience are invaluable to me, and I really appreciate it. Finally, I would also like to give my heartfelt thanks to my beautiful wife, Lizzie. She's put up with me in this strange podcasting thing with the patience of a saint, and I could never fully repay her, but I will definitely try. That's not snap, snap, grin, grin, wink, wink, sign them all. Episodes of the Atari Lynx Handycast can be found on Apple Podcasts. Please take time to leave a review of the Atari Lynx Handycast on Apple Podcasts so that other interested listeners can easily find the Handycast. You can also find the Atari Lynx Handycast on Stitcher, on Google Play Music, and on TuneIn. While you're at it, 
be sure to check out the Artaria Links Handicast website at artarialinkshandicast.net. All of the episodes can be found there, including show notes and a list of upcoming episodes. And you can visit the Artaria Links Handicast blog page at artarialinkshandicast.blogspot.com. Also, you can subscribe to the Artaria Links Handicast on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash Handicast. And you can follow the Artaria Links Handicast on Twitter. Just search on Twitter for Links Handicast. Finally, you can send Mark Little an email and let him know what you think about any episode of the Artaria Links Handicast. You can also provide your own feedback about any Artaria Links games. And you can even suggest future topics or possible interview subjects for future episodes. Or you can just simply say, hi. Just write to him at mark at artarialinkshandicast.net. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Artaria Links Handicast. This is Montague Habersham wishing you a good evening. The Atari Lynx Handicast is made possible by a grant from the Telesearch Group and by the generous support of listeners like you. Thank you.